0: Okay, we're going to jump right into the sermon today, um, so if you can, in your uh, Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22, please, uh, and if you can go ahead and stand, I'm going to ask that you read this with me. Brent's going to have text up on the uh, a screen in case you're reading from a different version than I am. I have uh, today's new international version. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 8, and then we're going to jump ahead to verse 14 and carry all the way through verse 32. So this is a longer passage. This is why I'm asking for your uh, help with this this morning. And then we will uh, dive right in uh, to the message. So will you please read this with me? Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter... This is the word of God. And so we pray now that you would use your scriptures as a sword to cut through our hard hearts. We ask through your Holy Spirit that you would speak the words that we need to hear today, not for our intellectual stimulation or our emotional enjoyment, but for the transforming of our hearts and our minds, that we would be the people you have called us, rescued us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. And you can be seated. I was supposed to invite Mitchell up earlier to share a story. Can we do that next week, Mitchell? Yeah. So um, Mitchell's been uh, doing an interesting kind of service project in our neighborhood I wanted you guys to hear about. We'll, we'll do that next week, so sorry about that. Uh, we are in a sermon series called "The uh, the Reconciling uh, Community, and we're uh, looking at what it means to be the people of God. Uh, We've talked about uh, the fact that uh, God's project throughout the scriptures is bringing heaven to earth, bringing the rule and the reign of God to bear on us, people who often rebel against God's perfect rule and reign. We talked about being the koinonia, the fellowship, what it means that in Jesus we have been reconciled and restored into relationship with God and with each other. I want to get even more specific today and ask, how does this koinonia, how does this fellowship, how does this reconciling community happen, and, and maybe more specifically, how is it sustained? Uh, maybe about six months ago, a friend of mine uh, and, and a guy who's a mentor to me, we were having a conversation and uh, sharing with him just some of the joys and the struggles of, of being a pastor. And He can relate to all that. He's been a pastor. He's planted churches. And, and this friend who, who's Asian, he said, you know, David, it strikes me that, that for a white man, one of the scariest thoughts must be uh, that you would be called a racist. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, I never quite thought about it like that but yeah you just put your finger on something in me that is true that is a, a fear that's a great fear of mine i tell you that story to say that I, I think my friend didn't just put his his finger on one specific issue in me in that moment he i think put his finger on something deeper in me and deeper in us and and that is that you and i have this tendency, this deeply-seated tendency to justify ourselves. To justify ourselves. And So in, in this first example, if somebody calls me a racist and I am someone who has sought to justify myself, prove my worth, prove my value, prove how smart and strong I am, and now I have that label on me, everything comes crumbling down. As hard as I've tried to justify myself, that all comes crumbling down in that moment. Um, and another example, maybe to try to flesh this out a little bit more, uh, you can put that the next slide up, Brent. Um, the, many of you know um, Joe Paterno, the coach at Penn State, uh, for over 40 years, a beloved figure, Uh, on this university campus. Uh, Not just on the football team, but really on the whole university. He gave a ton of money, raised a lot of money for the university. He was really kind of the face, the icon of Penn State. Um, And and, and again, most of you probably know that a few months before his recent uh, death, it came to light that he was aware of some horrific things that were happening on his football team with his coaching staff. Just horrible, horrible things uh, that were were happening. And he kind of turned a blind eye. So there's these kind of two things, right? On the one hand, this very beloved figure, and then this person who is complicit in these absolutely horrible crimes. And so Slate Magazine wrote an article about Joe Paterno, and and the author in this article asked this question, is it right to mourn Joe Paterno's death? This is a a person who grew up, you know, rooting for Penn State, attended Penn State, loved Joe Paterno, and now these kind of new things come to light, and he's conflicted. Should I? Do I feel sad about this? How do I feel about this man's death? See, our tendency to justify ourselves is also when we kind of place on others as well, right? Just as we kind of define ourselves whether we're good enough or not. And see, some of you today walked in, and you're you're feeling like you're good enough today, for whatever reason. You had a good week. You made some decisions. You help somebody after what you feel, yeah, you're, 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 you're making it. You're, you're making the cut today. Others of us walk in, pfft, the opposite of that. Didn't live up to it t- this week. Didn't make it this week. And See, so we, we do this. We place even others in these different categories. That person is justified. That person is not. That person fits in this good category. That person in this other category. So, what happens in the case of somebody like a Joe Paterno? How. How does somebody feel about that moment? I actually think that this tendency to justify ourselves is at the heart of the disciples' argument in our passage today. Did you catch it kind of in the middle of this well-known scene? The Last Supper, Jesus is, is, is breaking bread and pouring the wine with his disciples. All of a sudden, there, there, there erupts this, this argument. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I don't think this is a question about who is the best. I don't think the disciples are, like, trying to do an organizational plan. You know, the disciples, who has the vice president position? Who's the COO? I don't think that's what's going on here. There's not a ranking happening. I think this is a question about justification. Who does Jesus love the best? Which one of us has pleased him the most? Elsewhere in the Gospels, we find the, the uh, disciples John and James James asking to be closest to Jesus. The ones who have the right and the left hand of, of Jesus. Of course, in, in this same passage later on, Peter will say, No, no, Lord, uh, of, of all the disciples, I'll be the only one who doesn't abandon you, doesn't deny you. Justifying himself. I, I make the cut, Jesus. I, I'm, I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. Come hell or high water, I'm with you. He, he, he's not, of course. We know what happens. And I think that Jesus understood that the disciples weren't just asking about kind of who was the best, who was the strongest, who was the greatest. I think Jesus was getting at, and there's something below the surface here, you're, you're justifying yourselves. Because what does he do? He, tells, like, he gives an example in verse 25. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Kind of a strange word. It's not one that we typically use today. A benefactor is someone who helps a person or a group, often with money. That's a benefactor. Some of you would like a benefactor. I wouldn't mind a benefactor. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, look, you're, you're acting just like the kings of the Gentiles who, who take their authority, who take their kingship, and lord it over everybody else. Not only that, they, they make everybody else call them benefactor. Jesus getting at the fact that whatever power or authority these Gentile kings seems to have, at the root of it, they are attempting to justify themselves. I'm a benefactor. My identity, my goodness comes from that. So what happens? What happens when we live this way, when we justify ourselves in these kinds of ways? Well, the Gentile kings, people like Herod the Great and They may have imagined themselves to be benefactors, helping people, but of course we know in reality they were responsible for massive oppression and the despair of thousands upon thousands of people. Or more specifically, the disciples around the table that day, they completely overlooked the profound and even revolutionary things that Jesus is saying over that meal, and instead they tried to prove which one is the smartest, the strongest the most faithful of Jesus' followers. And and us. How does this this reality play out for us? This self-justification thing that can be so deep in us, how how does it work for us? How does it bubble up in our lives? When we seek to justify ourselves, attempting to prove our own value, to prove our own worth, we fear revealing to one another who we really are. Right, Bryce? Because we justify ourselves, because we seek to prove our own value and our worth, we ignore the small sins that slowly take root in our soul so we say things like, well, I I don't really have an eating disorder. I'm not really addicted to that thing. I don't really have to work as hard as I do. I'm just, you know, I'm choosing to. I'm not an angry person. My kids have just been really challenging lately. because we justify ourselves attempting to prove our own value and worth, we beat ourselves up when something goes wrong. We make ourselves suffer appropriately for our mistakes. Because we justify ourselves in these ways, we hide from each other. We hide from those who know us well enough to call us out, to hold us accountable, to encourage us. You see, when we justify ourselves this way, as the disciples did, we cannot fully be the people God created us to be. When we justify ourselves this way, we cannot fully be the people God created us to be. Why? Because we're pulling back, we're hiding ourselves. And when you and I cannot fully be the people God created us to be, this community cannot be. The reconciled people God has called us to be. It cannot happen. When we live these self justifying lives, rather than living on the very edge of heaven coming to earth, we pull back. We protect ourselves. We hide ourselves. We settle for safety or comfort, predictability. Rather than living the very center of God bringing heaven to earth, we've said this is who we're called to be. Just as in the, old temp- in the Old Testament, the temple was the image of God's glory coming down to reside among his people, but not to stay there. The Old Testament prophet says to spill out so that God's glory covers the earth. The temple was that point where heaven was meeting earth, where the rule and the reign of God was being brought to bear on earth. And this is who we are. This is who the people of God is. This is who the church is, the body of Christ. It's among us. It's here that heaven is coming to earth where God's glory is coming, is spilling out to cover the earth. And yet when we live these self-justifying sort of lives, when we hide ourselves, when we pull back, when we protect ourselves, when we tell lies about ourselves, We step away from that edge of heaven coming to earth. Are you with me? There's a life that you and I have been called to live, and it cannot be lived when we live self-justifying lives. can't happen. Now notice the setting of our passage here this morning. Chapter 22 that we've been reading, verse 15. Jesus said to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this, What? Passover, with you before I suffer. So there's a specific context that Luke wants us to see. This, this moment, this meal, this argument happens at a certain time. Passover. Jesus and his disciples were gathered over a meal much like most of their Israelite countrymen were doing. They were reminded of that time when God rescued their ancestors from Egypt. This is what Passover was about, remembering. They remembered God's judgment had passed over the Israelites' house on that night. They remembered that a Passover lamb was slain and its blood painted on the doorposts. An atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people so that they could be rescued, saved, liberated, redeemed. And so in this setting, as they gathered around this meal, they were remembering their salvation. They were remembering what God had done for them, that God had saved them, had given them a new identity, a new purpose, that God had justified them. And into this setting, Jesus Jesus flips things. Jesus doesn't just celebrate the Passover meal. What does he do? What does he do? He says, says, this, this meal that we're eating, this is me. This thing that our ancestors have been doing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, remembering what God had done, this is me. This bread is my body, and it will be broken for you, and this cup we do grape juice, but you know, he did wine. This wine is my blood shed for you. Jesus inserts himself into the story. This was a familiar story. It was a story they all knew. This was a meal they celebrated every single year. But Jesus flips the script and he says, N-n-n. Something new is happening. We're not just remembering a Passover lamb that saved a household, there's a new Passover lamb who will give his body and his blood for your salvation. Jesus inserts himself into this Passover story. Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. And the sentence ends, before I suffer, It's easy maybe for us to, to think about this moment, to kind of spiritualize it. It's a nice sermon illustration. Jesus is using interesting spiritual metaphors. Look at this bread and this cup and this nice kind of warm, fuzzy moment. I've eagerly desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. You see, we we don't look at this and go, oh, you know, it's nice. Jesus was about to die. Jesus was on his way intentionally to the cross where he would give his life. Isn't a spiritual metaphor? Isn't something to make the disciples feel nice? Something was about to happen. Jesus' life was going to be forfeit. He gives his life for our salvation for our redemption, for our justification. You see, at this meal, self-justification dies. At this meal, Jesus puts to death any notion, any idea that we can justify ourselves. Jesus puts to death any idea, any notion that there is any hope, any life in our attempts to justify ourselves because he now is the Passover lamb. He takes onto himself everything, everything, everything that separated us from God and says, I justify you. At this meal, once and for all, God shows us that we are accepted. That we are loved. That we are worth it. That we are justified. If you're you're someone today who, who you wouldn't put yourself in that Christian group of people, you wouldn't say that you're someone who's given your life to Jesus. This is an interesting thing to you, you're here for some reason. I want to say to you that this is the great news for us. Because living a self-justifying life is tiring. It's exhausting. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Where's you out? Because just when you think you're finally getting it together, right? Something comes along, cuts you off at the heels. A person, a thing, a circumstance, a situation, you realize, I hadn't attained it yet. We're crushed underneath the weight of our own attempts to prove that we're worthy, we're acceptable, we're loved, we're justified. So if you're with us today, and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, this is what I want to say to you, this is the great news, is that you can let go of that today. That you can, you can push off this weight today. That there, that there is somebody who took all of that onto himself. Every accusation that has ever been whispered in your ear. You're not good enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not smart enough. And put it to death. There is that freedom available today. Jesus will take that weight off. And say there's a new way of living available Now, Not someday, now. Not when you get your act together, now. Yes? This is the great news, church. But of course, you know that I'm not just talking to the folk who aren't Christians, because we who are Christians, we forget this, don't we? Huh? Many of us are living as if we still have to justify ourselves. Many of us have returned to what the Apostle Paul calls that yoke of slavery and put it back on. Why? You see, Jesus, Jesus assumes that his followers from this point forward will no longer attempt the impossible task of justifying themselves. He just assumes that there's another way to live. What does he say? That, look, look, the Gentile kings, that's how they live. That's what they do. That's how they roll. But what does he say? Not so with you. That's not, that's not how you live anymore. Something has fundamentally changed in you. It's a different way to live. There's a more beautiful way to live. So, what is it? Jesus says the, 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 the way of self justification is, is done, it's over with. There's liberation, there's freedom. What replaces it? Two words for us this morning confession and forgiveness. Confession and forgiveness. titled my sermon this morning, The Air We Breathe. My deep conviction that for those of us who consider ourselves Christians, confession and forgiveness is the air that we breathe. Ought to be that normal to us, that common place to us. The air that we breathe as Christian people, as those who've given our lives to Christ, is confession and repentance. I think some of us mistake confession or being forgiven as that thing that happens at the beginning of your faith journey with Christ. Those of us who have been Christians a while, we like, oh yeah, I remember when I first confessed my sins. When I first said, I can't do this anymore, God. I'm a mess. I'm sinful. I'm wicked. I'm... We remember that moment, right? We remember the forgiveness that we received, this entry into this new family, this rescue, this redemption. And then what happens? We're like, thank you for that. I got to cover from here on out. All right? Thank you for that. Thank you for that forgiveness. I'm glad I don't have to confess again. I'm in. I know, I'm the only, only person here today who knows what I'm talking about. Confession and forgiveness is ongoing. It's not an entry point. So here's what Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 17. He says, if a brother or a sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So far, so good. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This ongoing confession Forgiveness. It's not an entry point. It's not a one-time thing. Jesus says, look, this is how it is. Somebody wrongs you once, you forgive them. Somebody wrongs you twice, you forgive them. Somebody wrongs you three times, you forgive them. Now, I feel like I always got to kind of do this par- parenthetical thing. Jesus is not talking about being a doormat. Can we be clear about that? He's not talking about being passive-aggressive or letting somebody run all over you. Why? Because Jesus says, if somebody wrongs you, rebuke them. Be honest. Be truthful. Be truthful. Call out what happened. And then, if they ask for your forgiveness, you forgive them. And if it happens again, you forgive them. You understand? No doormats. We're not doing that. yeah? Yeah? But the forgiveness that we encounter with Jesus is limitless. Why? Because God's forgiveness is limitless. Do you see... You see, we live out of the limitless forgiveness and grace of God. Yes. This is how we live now. We don't live the justification way. We've been justified by God. How many times do you think every single day we need to confess our sins to God and ask for his forgiveness? How many times? I mean, have you ever done this, this practice at the end of the day, like you're laying in bed, and you're like, you just kind of review your day? Well, isn't that like a spiritual practice for me? Does that have like a name or something? Can't remember it? I can't remember it either. Anyways, there's a name for it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like reviewing your day, and you say, God, show me. Holy Spirit, show me all the times that I sinned. Anybody ever done this before? It's real depressing real fast because yeah, yeah. there's a lot. Yeah. And you just missed it most of the time, right? Yeah. Like, you're, like you go to bed, you're like, oh, there's two or three things. I could have done a little bit better. Like, Holy Spirit, show me the day. Boom, boom. You neglected that person, looked over that person, you said that thing, didn't say that thing, you had that thought, you didn't have that thought. How many times every single day is our God forgiving us, sustaining us, showing us grace, showing us mercy? Most of the time when we're not even aware of it, yeah? This is what sustains us, whether we even know it or not. And so Jesus says, so that's how you live now. Somebody wrongs you once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six, six times. What's he saying? There's no limits now to our confession, to our forgiveness. There's no limits now. Why? Because God has no limits for us. And that's good news, Amen. <sighs> I'm telling you, that's good. Just, just do it one time. Review your day one time. Do it tonight. And you'll be like, oh, thank God there's no limits. Thank God there's no limits. This is the air that we breathe. And when we do this, when we begin living this way, when we step away from this self-justification way of living to living within this rhythm of confession and forgiveness, there are things that happen. Good things that happen. Do you know that healing happens when we confess and forgive? Do you know that? What does James say? James chapter 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Jeff and I were just talking about this yesterday, kind of reflecting on our lives in those moments where we finally like put language to something that's in our life, an issue of sin or rebellion. We put language to it with somebody and it's like, all oh, the power just seems to go away. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This thing that had so much power over you when it was hidden, when you were hiding yourself, when you were sweeping something under the rug, you call it the light, you confess it. All of a sudden the power just goes away. Why? Because we're living within the rhythm of the life that God has called us to live. We're living in the pattern of how God has forgiven us. Sometimes that confession has to happen with somebody who wronged you. Or somebody you wronged. You know you're carrying this thing, this memory. Some of you right now, you know exactly what it is. Like, I have not addressed that. I have not confessed what I did to that person. Sometimes that's where the confession plays out. Sometimes, though, it's just a struggle. It's an interior struggle. It's an addiction. It's a pattern. It's a behavior. It's a sin that's just in you. You're wrestling with. And you just need a sister or a brother who you can say, I got to confess to put language to this. I need you to remind me that I am a forgiven person. And all of a sudden the power begins to break. There are good things that happen when we live this way. We we experience healing. We experience a foretaste of the day when heaven finally comes to earth. You know that? It's not just that we kind of like doing this private you know, we confess and we forgive. When we do this, when we live this way, when we are quick to confess, to forgive, we are actually proclaiming and demonstrating to the world where history is going. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 14. He's quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. The prophet Paul saying, look, this is where history is going. There's going to come a day where everyone will confess to God, where the light of God's holiness will shine so brightly that all we can do is confess our brokenness, our sinfulness, our rebellion before that God. That's where history's going. That's what God is doing, God bringing God's justice and God's mercy, one in one hand, one in the other hand. That's where history's going. That's hope as God's people. So when we choose to live that way now, we're not just doing like this, hey, man, sorry, can you forgive me? Yeah, okay, I feel better about myself. I can sleep good tonight. We're actually demonstrating to the world this is where history is going. Jesus is king now. Jesus is going to return and reign and rule and make all things right, and this is how we will live then. You understand? There is power beyond just the mere interaction, the mere words when we confess, repent, and forgive one another. There is power beyond that moment. We are living in the stream, in the flow of where God is taking the world. Yes? Yes? Good things happen when we confess and forgive regularly. Our effectiveness in God's mission increases exponentially. There's this weird little interaction at the end of our passage today. Verses 31 and 32, Jesus looks at Peter. Peter is kind of the ringleader, right? The self-proclaimed ringleader of the disciples. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you, has asked to sift all of you as wheat. That's, that's never what you want to hear, right? We all agree? That's never good news. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. The lie that many of us believe so often is that God cannot use us until we get our stuff together. That God cannot use us until we stop sinning. And So we were were on the sidelines, kind of watching the world go by and God help me you know help me get my stuff you know when i finally when i get to this point when i have reached this life stage then then i'm in then i'm in then i'm in. And Jesus says, look, um, disciples, you're living on the edge of God bringing heaven to earth, you're going to experience attack. This is going to happen. You're going to experience setbacks. You're going You're going to mess up. You're going to miss it. You're going to lose the plot. And Peter does multiple times. We watch it happen. It's not going to be easy. But Simon, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And Simon, when you turn back, not if you turn back, Simon, when you turn back, what? Strengthen your brothers. Now, there's no language here about confession or repentance or forgiveness, but that's what's happening here. Repentance is what? Turning around, turning back, going in the right direction. Simon, you're going to miss it. You're going to be tested. You're going to lose the plot. You're going to sin. But Simon, when you realize it, when you repent, when you confess, when you turn around, what? Strengthen the brothers. This is counterintuitive to many of us today, that God is made strong in our weakness something about our confession and our repentance, our admitting our weakness, our frailty, our sin, that's when God becomes strong in us. That's not when you pretend like you got everything together. It's not when you pretend like, oh, I'm the, I'm the perfect mother. I got my household totally in order. I never raise my voice at my child. Everything is just, we just have family devotions all the time. That's not when God is strong. Amen. Amen. God is strong when we are real. God is strong when we acknowledge our sinfulness, our brokenness, our weakness. When we confess, in that moment of confession, Christ becomes so powerful. Because we're saying once again, I cannot justify myself. God, you can do that. I cannot prove my value and my worth. God, that's something only you can do. I cannot prove that I am loved. That is something that you have done and accomplished. That's what happens in that moment of confession. I don't have to fear what you're going to think of me when I say these words. I don't have to fear about my image. Why? Because I'm already justified by Christ. It can never be taken from me. Good things happen, church, when we live into this rhythm of confession and repentance, when this becomes the air that we breathe. Worship team, go ahead and come back on up. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. I'm going to invite you up in a few minutes. As a church, it is our vision To be a reconciled community. Say reconciled community. community. This is who God is calling us to be. And because we have been reconciled to God, because you have been reconciled to God, you no longer have to justify yourself. I want you to hear that in your guts today. Because You have already been reconciled to God. You no longer have to justify yourself. You don't have to live that way anymore. Every accusation has been rendered powerless by Christ's victory on the cross. When the accuser says, you're not good enough. Jesus declares, you don't have to be good enough. I was good enough for you. When the accuser says, if they really knew you, they wouldn't accept you, Jesus declares, I do know you, and I do accept you. When the accuser whispers, if you just try harder, then you'll finally prove that you are worthy, Jesus declares, you are worthy because you are loved eternally by the God who created you. Am I preaching? Somebody say amen. Amen. When the accuser says, you are too weak, Too sinful to be used by God, Jesus declares in your weakness, I am made strong. The cross cries out to us this morning, the cross cries out this morning to every single one of us that you are loved, that you are accepted, that you were worth it, that you are justified you are reconciled. The empty cross this morning is your hope. It's your salvation. There is no accusation that holds any weight any longer. Nothing. 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 That thing right now that's coming up. No! 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 Not that either. That thing that happened along, not that either. That thing that you might do tomorrow, not that either. Nothing, no accusation holds any power, any weight over you any longer. Yes? Amen. We're not self justifying people anymore. We've seen how that's a dead end. We've seen where that leads. We've been giving something else. So because we are reconciled to God, church, we are also reconciled to each other. We are also reconciled to each other. Because God has justified us through Christ. We no longer have to justify ourselves to each other. Is that good news? You do not have to justify yourself. Prove your worth. Prove your value. Prove that you are loved any longer. It's been done. It's been done. So can can you begin today with this? Can you begin today by asking, who can I forgive? Who can I forgive? Who can I forgive? Who has wronged me? Earlier this morning, earlier this week, ten years ago, who has wronged me? Who can I forgive? Because of because of the limitless forgiveness I have known in Jesus, who can I forgive today? What healing can I unleash today? What power can I unleash today? What do you need to confess today? What sin do you need to confess to today? What thing that you've been harboring in your heart, what thing that has, been, that has attached itself to you and you just can't seem to let it go, what thing, what interaction, what word, what conversation has, has taken place where you need to confess? Is there a specific person you need to confess to Today? Is there a phone call that needs to be made? Is there somebody in this room who you need to approach and confess to today? Is there a sister and a brother who maybe you've not wronged, but you just need, you just need a member of the body of Christ to hear your confession. To remind you, you are forgiven. You are justified. Beloved child of God. Can you start today? We're going to receive communion. And uh, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We do this maybe every few months. Rather than have a couple communion servers up here serving you, we're going to serve each other. We've done this a few times and I know it's a little bit awkward for some of us. That's okay. We're going to do it this way today. We're going to serve one another because we're going to be reminded today that it's, it's in the body and, and blood of Jesus that we are justified eternally. But in the confession and the forgiveness of one another that we experience that justification. That we show one another, we don't have to justify ourselves to each other. No, I can really be me. I don't have to try to be somebody else. I don't have to pretend that that thing didn't happen to me, that I didn't do that thing. I can really be here. I can confess. I can receive forgiveness because of what God has accomplished through Jesus. So when we serve each other, that's, that's what we're doing today. We're being reminded of what God has accomplished for us in Christ and we're being reminded of the beautiful words of confession and forgiveness that we get to say to one another. Are you with me? So the way we're going to do this is I'm going to hold the the bread in the cup and then whenever you're ready, whoever wants to, can come up, take a piece of bread and you're going to hear me say, "This this is the body of Christ. And then you'll dip the bread in the cup and you'll hear me say, this is the blood of Christ. And if you're up for it, and I hope most of you will, then you'll take that plate and the cup from me and serve the person who's behind you, and so on and so forth. If for some reason it's it's just too uncomfortable, that's okay. You can still receive communion and then just go ahead and sit back down. But I want to challenge you today to serve one another, to be the words, the voice of God to one another, reminding in a very tangible, very specific way that we are justified, that there's a new way for us to live now, We're going to have some prayer folks up here. You guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, And they want to pray for you today. They want to pray for your healing today. They want to pray um, for courage. For courage that you would have the courage to, to, to make your confession to that person you need to confess to. They want to pray for you that you're able to offer forgiveness. You've tried so hard to offer forgiveness in that one place, and you've not been able to do it. They want to pray for you today that you will be able to offer forgiveness. They want to pray they want to pray for you if you've if you've never said yes to the justifying work of god they want to pray that you will receive this this lightning of your burden today as you say yes to jesus as you say yes to the way of jesus as you say yes to what god has accomplished for you they want to pray for you today am i making myself clear yes so come to them come to them and allow them to pray for you we have the cross up here and i don't know if you know this but the cross is not just for for decoration do you know that It's not like we're just like a chain we wear around our neck, you know, like, isn't that? The cross is here to remind us that this is a sacred space. That we know six days out of the week, this is an auditorium for elementary school students. But today, it's the sanctuary of the people of God. So the cross is here to remind you of that today. So some of you want to come and kneel at the cross. You want some time just by yourself to to, to hear the Holy Spirit speak words of truth to you. Come, come, come to the cross. There's no hurry, there's no rush. Use this time, use this space to encounter God, to hear the the words of forgiveness, to make your confession before your Savior again today. I'm gonna confess our sins together before we come forward. Brent, if we can put that up on the screen. Pray with me, church. Most merciful God, And so, God, we ask now that you would encounter us anew. For some of us, Lord, you know that uh, these words of confession and repentance, they're they're old words. And for some of us, they ring hollow. We need you to breathe new life into them today. For some of us, there's still this hesitation. Can Can I really live this way? Can I really stop justifying myself? Can I really relinquish proving my worth, proving my value, proving that I am acceptable, that I'm good enough? Give us courage today to set that aside, to live fully under the beautiful justification of our God, who once and for all has said, you are worth it. You are loved. You are accepted. You are given. So speak, move as your people celebrate your supper, sing your songs. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to come forward when you're ready. is going to lead us in one more song of worship and we're going to be reminded that what we experience here together, that the healing, the presence of God that we know here is not meant for us to hold on to. We are arrested, we are justified, we're saved, we're redeemed, we're liberated, we're healed, we're free so that we can participate in what God is doing in the world, so that we can be sent from this place. The same message that we encounter in the scriptures, that there is freedom available, that there is salvation available, that there is a new way of life that begins today. Amen? So church, I invite you to worship, to sing as forgiven people now, as people who do not any longer have to justify yourselves, as a people who can confess and be forgiven freely, regularly, every single day because of what God has done for us. So you can't see uh, So I leave us with this question. What, what do you have to be afraid of this week? If the gospel is true, if the Word of God is true, if the cross is empty, what do you have to be afraid of this week? Let me answer that for you. Nothing. Amen. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. So give your life away this week. Give your life away this week in the service of what God is doing in our world. I'm going to give you a benediction in just a minute and send you out. Stick around for our potluck. If you're a visitor, we want to feed you today. We want to bless you. We want to thank you for being with us. So stick around. Um, just follow people towards uh, the lunchroom. Remember Bethany and Derek having folks over uh, for, the, for the Super Bowl. Some of you need to stay and be prayed for? Our prayer folks are still here and they'd love to pray for you. Oh. And so God, we ask that now you send us out. Send us out breathing new air. Confession, forgiveness, confession, forgiveness, confession, forgiveness. For we have been forgiven limitlessly by our Father, and so we will forgive. We will confess forgive we will confess knowing that in jesus our lives have been justified eternally that no accuser no accusation has anything to say to us anymore so send us out with that god use us use us to be your people in the world this week in jesus name we pray amen amen go in peace